This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, draft season is heating up. The Combine is a week away, and we are really excited today to be joined by special guest uh, Kyle Yates, now a football guy. Kyle, welcome back to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Congrats on the move over to football, guys. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks so much for having me, man. I feel like this is a this is an annual tradition at this point, right? I think we've yeah. done. I've been on the show now for like three straight years, I think now, where yep. uh, we get to talk some prospects here. So it is always a good day when I get to talk some prospects here with Paul Pertichese. I'm happy to be back on the podcast. Absolutely. So let's jump right in because I really think it's a fascinating draft class, and let's start at the quarterback position where I think they're. We have some top-end guys, obviously more than last year, but every one of them kind of comes with some question marks, right? From Bryce Young to the size and frame, C.J. Stroud. Until that last game, there were a lot of questions in terms of what he can do playing you know, off structure. Anthony Richardson, all this talent, but so much development needed. And then Will Levis, who most of draft Twitter seems to think one thing of, but the rumors are the NFL thinks very differently. So why don't you just kind of start with some of these quarterbacks, maybe where you stand, you know, if you have a strong stance on one over another, are you concerned about Bryce Young and the size and frame? Do you prefer him to, to Stroud? Maybe just talk a little bit about some of these top tier quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I think you have to start the conversation with Bryce Young because that's the player that we have been hearing about for the past several years. And obviously playing at Alabama, we recognize that, you know, we, we know who he is because it's a high, high end program like Alabama. So, I think the thing with with Bryce Young, from a tape perspective, we are just purely looking at his film, he is 100% worthy of going as the number one overall pick in this draft. I think that if you put him in most drafts, especially like last year, of course, that was the Kenny Pickett and, you know, Malik Willis and all that, like Bryce Young absolutely going in the, uh, as the number one overall pick. In other classes, I think he's in that conversation from a film perspective. When you zoom out a little bit, though, and you recognize that this guy is under six feet tall, and he might be 190 pounds. Like, there are reports and rumors out there that he played at around 170 pounds at Alabama. So I think the conversation becomes, like, Bryce Young can play in the NFL. He has proven that he can play above, with the best of the talent that the SEC has to offer, that college football has to offer, and he could play at a very, very high level. The issue becomes, for NFL general managers, where do you take that risk of a player who is a 0th percentile in terms of weight, like the lightest quarterbacks that have played in the NFL were not top five draft picks and were at like 195 pounds. So Bryce Young is not going to weigh 195 pounds. It's just not possible for him to hit that mark based on the reports and even looking at his frame. So it's where's the risk? Where, where does the risk become worth the reward for Bryce Young? And where does he go in the NFL draft? I think that you have to separate those two where the talent level is there. I think he can absolutely play. You have to worry about durability a little bit. But Bryce Young, from a talent perspective, is absolutely worth going as the number one overall pick in this draft. Just a matter of, is that worth the risk for a player that might be 175 pounds at the NFL Combine here in a week? Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is, like, we've seen smaller players, but Kyler Murray was thicker. Kyler Murray was more athletic. So, like, he's a different style player. So it's going to be a fascinating thing, you know, if you turn this to CJ Stroud, where do you kind of stand on him? Because I feel like there's people who really love him and there's people who like him, but like there are some question marks. And I think if that Georgia game didn't exist, I feel like there'd be more nitpicking and and 
critique of CJ Stroud as a prospect, but that one game, I feel like he's had this lasting image going into the heart of draft season. Where do you kind of stand on CJ? Absolutely. So I think that if we take Bryce Young, we put him aside. I think that CJ Stroud provides the highest floor for the other quarterbacks in this class. Like, you know what you're going to get with CJ Stroud, which is a very, very accurate quarterback, a very quick uh, decision maker, quick processor. I think that he is able to execute that quick passing game system. And he does bring some mobility to his game. It didn't get utilized a whole ton at Ohio State. But he does provide some additional mobility, not to the level of these Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen's and stuff like that. But the way that we kind of view Patrick Mahomes, where like he's always just a little bit faster than the guy who's chasing him, I think that CJ Stroud can become that, can be that guy in the NFL. So he can bring you some additional mobility and rushing yardage if we are speaking from a fantasy football perspective. The issue is that the upside necessarily isn't really there. I think that he's got to be surrounded by a good offensive line in front of him. He's got to have a deep cupboard of playmakers around him to really reach that like top 10 NFL quarterback potential. I think that he is going to be in this constant conversation of like, is he really in the top 15 of NFL quarterbacks? I think that's kind of the the range that CJ Stroud is always going to be in. So he's my number one quarterback in this class, just because I am taking Bryce Young's weight into account where I don't think that he is going to go as a top five pick. And I am a little bit concerned about that and betting on that, but it's very close with the two. I put the two of them together in that same tier, but I do give that slight edge to CJ Stroud. I think he's a good player. I think he's a good quarterback, but you do have to at least be acknowledged that the upside might not necessarily be there like it is with some of the other quarterbacks that we'll talk about. Yeah, and speaking of upside, you know, I think Anthony Richardson is the definition of a high-risk, high-reward type player. When you're talking checking boxes in terms of athletic traits, he's far superior than the other guys we've talked about and the other guys in this class, but we notice a lot of development, a lot of refinement needed. Where do you kind of stand? Is Richardson your third quarterback uh, in terms of just evaluation? Do you like Levis a little bit more? Maybe just kind of talk a little bit Richardson, and do you stand on the side that has concerns about Levis? this or do you think maybe he could be you know better than maybe what draft twitter thinks of him sure yeah i think we could talk about both these guys in that same sort of bucket where i think that the upside is absolutely there for both anthony richardson the quarterback out of florida and then will levis the quarterback out of kentucky now i think with anthony richardson he's going to get labeled and i think a lot of people are scared off of his skill set from the way that we sort of overreacted and like overcommitted to malik willis from last year You have to separate the two of these quarterbacks. They are not the same player. Where Anthony Richardson is completing and competing in a much, much better conference, and he had pretty good production, whereas Malik Willis was coming out of Liberty. And he was a player that really kind of was making his mark and showed his athleticism, like that showed his upside because of his athleticism with some of those splash plays. Whereas Anthony Richardson has those big splash plays. He's doing it in the SEC. He's doing it against good competition. But he's also going to get classified as raw. And I think that that's the wrong classification. That's a, 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 There's different ways that you can view raw. Whereas with, we look at Zach Wilson, where Zach Wilson coming out of BYU didn't really perform well under pressure. He was raw. He was a project where you had the arm talent. You had the ability, like you saw the high flashes, But Zach Wilson, one, really didn't face a ton of pressure at BYU. And when he did, he wasn't necessarily super good at it. He was consistently bailing out of the pocket. With Anthony Richardson, he is inaccurate at times, but his ability to navigate the pocket, to stand in under pressure and perform under pressure is is night and day different from a Zach Wilson, from a Malik Willis from last year. So I see the upside for Anthony Richardson. He is my third quarterback in this class. If there was a player that I was willing to bet on, from a fantasy football perspective, being that top tier quarterback for fantasy in two to three years, 
it would be Anthony Richardson out of this class. I see the potential. I see the upside. And I'm enamored with it. I think that he is not as much of a project as a lot of people realize or are projecting him to be, excuse me. And I think that that consensus is starting to turn as a lot more people are getting into his tape and realizing, oh, wait, this guy actually does know how to navigate a pocket. He actually can do it at a pretty high level. Oh, wait, his, you know, his ability to stand in and take a shot and deliver a bomb 60 yards downfield, it's there. But there are some inaccuracy issues, which I think are just cleaned up by mechanics. And the guy hasn't played a ton of football. That's something to consider here, too. I think 300, off the top of my head, 393 total pass attempts in college football didn't get the start until this past year at Florida. So he's raw in that sense where he's inexperienced. But he's not raw from the fact of his skill set doesn't translate to the NFL and you're betting on a ton of things going his way in order for him to, you know, to get that, uh, to, to reach his ceiling. I think that the upside is absolutely there. For Will Levis... The tape isn't great. I think that that's something where you just have to kind of start out and say, like, the tape is very inconsistent. His accuracy issues are there. Poise under pressure really isn't something, isn't his strong suit. But the arm talent, the ability to fit it into any window at any level of the field is absolutely there. There is the upside. And again, not like with CJ Stroud, he's not going to be this mobile quarterback to the turn, like Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts or whatever. But he can provide a little bit of extra mobility on top of it. So Will Levis is someone that I actually, he did not grade out super well for me. Uh, There are other quarterbacks in this class from a film perspective graded out better than he did, but you have to account for the upside that if things go his way, if he lands with the right coaching staff, if he does have a solid offensive line in front of him, he can reach that ceiling, but that's a lot of projecting and betting on that I'm not necessarily comfortable with. I was down on Zach Wilson. I had Zach Wilson as the fourth quarterback in that class. Will Levis is the fourth quarterback in this class for me as well. And something where I acknowledge the ceiling is there. I acknowledge the upside is there, but that's not someone that I'm taking in the top 10 of the 2023 NFL draft. Yeah, those two guys are fascinating. I think landing spots, how quickly they're thrown into the fire for both Richardson uh, and Levis, I think could impact them. I think, you know, if they get him in the right scheme, especially Anthony Richardson, like, you know, for a while before the Giants kind of turned things around th- this year and, and surprised people, I thought Richardson and the Giants with Dale would have been a really intriguing fit. So it'd be interesting to kind of see there's been some whispers that maybe the Lions who have two first round picks, like let him sit behind the year, you know, put him on the turf, you know, you know, when he does become the guy would be really intriguing. So it's gonna be fascinating. I'm right there with you. I do think Hendon Hooker, if he wasn't the age he was, and he wasn't uh, the injury, you know, question marks. I like him, I think, on film more than Will Levis, but I think I don't think it's going to go like that in terms of NFL just because, you know, we, we've hearing the buzz with Levis and, and then the age and the injury stuff or hookers, obviously legitimate. So interesting at the quarterback position, a lot more to talk about this year than we were talking last year at this time. Let's spin this over to the running backs. When you look at the top of this running back class, do you think B. John stands alone as one of the best prospects to come out since like Saquon and the other top level guys, Ezekiel Elliott? Do you think Jameer Gibbs, if he if he is your number two, do you think it's a tier of two at the top and then a big separation? How do you kind of view the top of this running back class? Yeah, so I think that the first thing that you have to talk about is Bijan Robinson is a phenomenal prospect. He is the number one option, I think, consensus. And, you know, I I think that there will be some people that'll just attempt to be hot takey and that will say, like, Bijan isn't an RB1 in this class or whatever, but I I just don't see how you can come to that conclusion watching his film. The conversation then turns to with Bijan Robinson, is he a generational prospect? Is he the best co- the running back prospect to ever come out since Saquon Barkley or even above Saquon Barkley? I don't put him necessarily above Saquon as a prospect Saquon was just stupid like his change of direction ability his top end speed it's it was absolutely there Bijan 
checks every box though across the board. Like there are very few weaknesses in his game. Uh, so I think that he is absolutely a 101 uh, RB1 in this class. Fantastic prospect. I put him in a tier by himself. Then you have a second tier where I actually, I put Jameer Gibbs in that tier, I think by himself as well. I think there are other players that you can kind of make the argument for, but what Jameer Gibbs it brings to an NFL roster, the running back out of Alabama, he is not going to be a player who carries the ball 20 times per game. He is truly an Alvin Kamara clone, like from what he can do on the field as a receiving weapon for an offense and what he's going to be asked to do at the NFL level, he can be moved all over the formation. He can be truly that receiving weapon that you can mismatch up on linebackers, even put him up on safeties, like move him into advantageous spots around the formation and get the ball in his hands. And he is going to create. So I think that, you know, the comparisons out there, Alvin Kamara, I'm typically one that really doesn't gravitate towards like the consensus comparisons for players like if there's uh, a a buzz comparison out there I'm typically like okay let's find one that's a little bit more nuanced one that but you watch Jameer Gibbs's tape and you're like this is literally Alvin Kamara like this is Alvin Kamara reincarnated coming out of Alabama here so I think he is in that tier by himself as that second running back a absolutely worthy of going as the 102 in dynasty rookie drafts and one quarterback formats. I think that his landing spot is going to be crucial to determine just what his ceiling is from a fantasy perspective, but the upside is certainly there. Yeah. And, and I'm right there with you on both those guys. I do think they're almost separate tiers in itself. I, I, the Camara comparison has been out there forever. And I think the usage wise, I, I totally agree with it. I've, I've steered more at Saturday to Sunday to Austin Eckler, just because I think their body types sure. and frames are a little bit similar more than I think Kamara was a little bit thicker, a little bit better play strength. And Gibbs is going to be more around like 199, 200, I think, uh, where Kamara was, I think like 212, 215 when he came out. So I've been using more Eckler, but I think the idea is right where we were talking about, right? The usage, right. the role, I think, I think that Eckler Kamara world is how a team is going to use them. And maybe 10 years ago, Gibbs wouldn't be as thought of as highly, right? When we were looking for more of those traditional bell cows. But I think the game has changed a lot now. And I think he, you know, will go, you know, very high, top 40, I would say. Maybe he doesn't sink in the round one, but I, I expect him to be gone kind of where Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker went last year for sure. If we, if we kind of take this to another guy who, again, doesn't fit the old mold, but people are always looking for playmakers and always looking for offensive weapons. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Devin A-Chain out of Texas A&M, that instant explosiveness, acceleration, long speed burst? Uh, questions on him about the size and frame with him? Or, again, do you think for today's modern NFL, he's going to be a guy that just adds a dynamic weapon to it to an offense? Yeah, I think that as we look at today's NFL, where we are seeing so many coaches, you know, Deuce Staley, uh, hired in Cal- uh, California, in Carolina, uh, was talking about like he loves a three-man rotation. Like that's what he loves for these this running back committee and running back uh, backfield. I think a lot of NFL teams are moving that direction, and it's by roles, right? When you have that player who is able to punch it in from the two-yard line, or a player then that you can utilize as that receiving back, and then of course the change of pace. Like when you have these different roles and players fit into it, there's more of an opportunity for someone like Devon A-Chain to make a mark in the NFL. Whereas I think he's listed as 185 pounds. Again, we'll find out more about these players next week at the NFL Combine and what they truly weigh and how they test and all that stuff. But listed around 185 pounds, he's not going to be someone that you give the ball to 20 times on the ground. He's just not going to be that type of player. But if you give him the ball as, I would say, kind of like a James Cook role, where James Cook as that change of pace player, give him 10 carries per game, eight carries per game, and then five, six targets per game too. And with his level of explosiveness, his top end speed, 
it could absolutely make a mark for fantasy football. It could absolutely absolutely be a player, even though he is in a committee approach, even, if, even though he is in a committee can absolutely make an impact for fantasy football because of that explosiveness and ability. So I think you just have to adjust expectations. You just have to realize that Devon A-Chain is not going to be a workhorse running back in the NFL. But if we're talking about that role, that Austin Eckler type role for an offense, and not Eckler from the past couple of years, but Eckler, what he was the beginning part of his career, I absolutely think that A-Chain can fill that role and fill it really damn good. And you'd like to think that if a team invests as highly as I think he's going to go, which is top 50. If a team invests a top 50 pick, we'd like to think that the scheme, the coach believe in his talents and are going to maximize his skill set, right? Not going to just waste them in between the tackles, running, you know, early downs, like know how to have a plan for him. And I think if he goes to the right place with a right plan, we're going to see, we're going to see some production early on with his big playability. Those are my guys at the top. And then I really do feel like, personally four through like 12 you can mix and match like you watch you rewatch film i know like i could rewatch film and re-rank four through eight and i can re-rank nine through 12 so let me just open it up pick another few guys that you're really intrigued by by the running back position because if i open this up to you you're probably gonna give me three different names than somebody else might because it is such a unique running back class based on size and shape and what you want and what you value more as an evaluator so where do you kind of gravitate towards next in that next big wave of, of running backs in this class you're absolutely correct with this class that it is such a deep class. It's such a good class and it's filled with a ton of different body types and players that are going to fill different roles. So a ranking that I have of a player down at 10 could easily be your RB three in this class. And I'm not going to like fight you on it. I'm not going to be like, man, Paul's an idiot for having that guy mm-hmm. at three. Like I can see how you can come to that conclusion because of just the the skill set that these players bring. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that little that little part there of like what you favor as an evaluator. I think that that's a big part too. Like the skill set we'll talk, I'm sure that we'll talk about him here briefly, but like Zach Charbonnet, I don't have ranked very highly and I am much lower than the industry oh. on Zach Charbonnet. Because let me, let me just jump in one second because I I thought I was on an island alone because for me he's running back eleven and yes. everybody else has him top five yes and I just I, I keep going back to the film and I'm like what am I missing yep. so please my listeners have heard me talk about Zach Charbonnet for since last draft class because we thought he was going to come out last year and then he went back to school yep. so let me hear why you are as not as high on him as well. Yeah, perfect. So I have him in that same range too. And it's because of the traits that I value, the traits that I place a high priority on in uh, scouting the running back position from a film perspective. We're both film guys. That's our primary basis is change of direction, burst and top end speed. Those are the things that I place a high level of importance on. And I and I, you know, I rank them, uh, I grade that. Uh, you know, those traits a little bit higher than something like contact balance, you know, something like that. Like those are important traits to have. But if you are, if you have good vision, but you don't have the ability to change your direction to plant your foot in the ground and get to where that hole just opened up, where you identify that that hole is going to open up, it doesn't do you much good. So I place a high priority on that. Zach Charbonnet, I don't see that. Like he is a bruiser. He is, he has the size where he can handle a significant workload. Yeah. So I put him into that same kind of bucket as like Jordan Howard. 
uh, where Jordan Howard was a really good running back. He was going to be able to do the little things very, very well to get you. And we saw Jordan Howard have productive years in the NFL, but that athleticism kind of held him back from being truly one of the difference makers. And so when I look at the rest of this class and some of the names here, like Kendra Miller, like Ty J Spears, uh, you know, Tank Bigsby, Chase Brown, all these other guys, I see more upside for those guys because of their athleticism and what they bring. Whereas Charbonnet, He's going to be that guy where if you need him to punch the ball in at the two yard line, he'll do that for you. Like he has the size and ability to and contact balance to do that for you. But if you need him to be this guy that's going to average four and a half yards per clip consistently on, you know, 15 carries plus per game, I just don't see that being the case. He's going to have to be a player that landed lands behind a really good offensive line and has the backfield to himself to make much of an impact for fantasy football. So I think with, with Zach Charbonnet, I'm a little bit lower down because of those skills that I value elsewhere. Uh, my RB3 in this class, so we talked about Bijan Robinson, then Jameer Gibbs is 1 and 2. Devon Chain is RB5 for me in this class, So, uh, but again, that's, those rankings are going to be all over the place for people, and those will change going into the NFL Combine. This is something that I try to get people to understand, is that your rankings are a process throughout the pre-draft process, right? You have your film, then you have your questions that arise from the film. This was me last year with Brees Hall. I had athleticism concerns from a tape perspective with Brees Hall. I didn't see that top end speed. Then of course he shows up to the NFL combine and runs a four, four and makes me look like an absolute idiot. And it's like, okay, I don't have those questions anymore. I know that he can be that top end guy. So then move up to RB one or in that top tier, uh, RB three for me in this class, Kendra Miller out of TCU. I absolutely love Kendra Miller and what he can be. This was another guy where I think if we're talking about Bijan Robinson being the most well-rounded running back in this class, I think Kendra Miller's right behind him as far as the next guy that has very few weaknesses to his game. At his size, 220 pounds, has really good top-end speed that shows up time and time again on tape, has good movability, good change of direction, a good feel for the game, uh, and then is a good receiver on top of it. So really a, a player that I feel really, really comfortable with in that towards the top tier. And that is on an Island. Uh, there are NFL talent evaluators. You look at the big name guys in the industry. They have Kendra Miller as like RB 14 in this class. I'm like, I don't understand what you can see on his tape that leads you to have him all the way down there. And then the last one that I'll mention here in my top five is Ty J Spears out of Tulane. I, this was a player that I got to evaluate uh, his tape right before the senior bowl. So this was something where like the senior bowl course, he just emerged there and was just absolutely fantastic. Had a really good, uh, a really good, you know, week there. The tape backs it up, man. The tape is just absolutely incredible. And at 204 pounds, he's not going to be a fit for every scheme. I don't think that he's necessarily going to be a guy that you ask to carry the ball 20 times per game, but he can do it. There are games where I think it was up against Cincinnati this past year, where he carried the ball 35 times and was still producing at a very high level on the 34th carry of the game, right? Like it, he showed that he has the ability to handle that. So the talent level is there. Really, really good receiving back. He's going to be kind of labeled as that, as just a receiving back. I think he's much more than that. So really, really talented class. But those are my top five. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm a fan of both those guys. Both of them are in my top 10. And I think both of them could be combine winners. I think if, if the medicals check out for Tajay Spears, I think you're going to see a lot more buzz generating about him. Senior Bowl was big for him. If the combine medicals check out and we don't hear anything negative, I think he's ticketed for day two. And I think Kendry Miller, please plays as if he's a smaller back in a big back's body. And that's a compliment. Like with, I right. think the, the foot speed and the foot quickness, you know, I think if, if he tests, like I, I think he's going to test. And the fact that he's at his size, like I think we're going to see a noticeable difference in the athletic testing between a guy like Kendrick Miller and Zach Charbonnet. I think he could be a big winner from the combine as well. If we take this over to the pass catchers and we'll, and we'll do this both for the tight ends and the wide receivers and, and very general, the tight end position 
I think there's four names that we're hearing a lot as the consensus near the top. I think all of them have a lot of people think they could all go in round one. That would be wild if we get four in round one, maybe one slides top around two, but maybe just share your top there, you know, Michael Mayer, Darnell Washington, you know, uh, Dalton Kincaid, and then Luke Musgrave. For me, one of them athletically is very different than the other three, but it's best at the, at the, in terms of ball skills and production. So I think it was a challenging eval for me, and I, I am going to use the combine a lot, I think, to help sort the top of that tier, those yeah. four guys. How do you kind of see the tight ends? Yeah, so I've only gotten to watch Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid so far, okay. so I haven't, but I've caught enough of Darnell Washington where you're just like, my goodness gracious, this guy looks like a transformer running in the middle of the open field, like just absolutely insane his size, so I, I'm intrigued with him, I haven't gotten to Luke Musgrave, I literally have a okay. tab open right now that I'm looking at, which is Luke Musgrave's tape, so he is the next player that I'm going to evaluate, uh, Michael Mayer. Good prospect. I think that he necessarily isn't like the top locked in guy that I think that we he's been kind of billed to be, but a really, really solid prospect that's going to bring you a ton as a blocker. So I think it's a flavor thing. Whereas with Dalton Kincaid, reminds me a ton of like Greg Dulcich from last year, where like a move tight end that has really, really good athleticism. I'm really intrigued to watch, to see what Dalton Kincaid runs uh, in the 40 yard dash because you can see the explosiveness off the snap. Uh, off the uh, off the line of format or the uh, line of scrimmage there, so I'm really intrigued with Kincaid. I think that he is the tight end one in this class for me currently. Again, I haven't gotten to Luke Musgrave yet or Darnell Washington, but Kincaid from a receiving ability and his ability to line up and run routes and uh, control his momentum too is something where I think it's going to translate to the NFL really, really well. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that is when I watched Mayer in the summer, I thought I had labeled him part Pat Fryermuth, part T.J. Hawkinson. When I rewatched yeah. him this year, though, I didn't see as much athleticism slash upside as like a Hawkinson. So I kind of think he's more of like a better version of Pat Fryermuth, which is a really, really good player. Right. I'm just not sure it's warranted of like top 20, top 25, which is where Michael Mayer kind of has been living for the last year when people talk about this upcoming draft. And then you brought up a great comp to with uh, Kincaid to Greg Dulcich. But Dulcich was like, I think, a late second round pick. A lot of people putting Kincaid in round one. I don't if he doesn't test out as like a, an elite athlete like Evan Ingram did once upon a time at the combine. He's really good pass catcher, but he's a little bit older than some of the top guys that we usually see at the tight end position go really early. So I think it's a really big combine for Dalton Kincaid. I love the receiving capabilities. I love the production. I think he's a good athlete, maybe very good, but I don't know if he's an elite level athlete. And if he's not elite level, you know, for a tight end position at his age, does he get pushed into round one? I think that's a really interesting thing for both these guys. Yeah. If I'm Michael Mayer, I might just say I'm not doing anything and just, you know, the combine might can only hurt me. Right. So right. it'll be interesting to see if he does anything there next week. So why don't we finish this off with the wide receiver talk and we'll kind of open it up. I think, again, on a lot of the theme to each their own in terms of the top of the rankings here. I think the wide receiver, I can't remember a year that there's more uncertainty where I can bring on 10 guests between now and, dra- and the draft night. And there might be w- two overlaps, let's say, in terms of right. who's number one wide receiver is, right? There's probably five guys or six guys that could legitimately be in the mix for somebody at the top or maybe, you know, same names, but re-ranking the order one through six would be very different. So how do you kind of see the top of this based on the guys you've seen currently? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting class. And I know that there's a lot that we could break down here, Paul. So I'm good to keep going on time. So um, I think it's a really, really interesting class where it's definitely not going to live up to the hype of even last year's class. Like, I think that there are a lot of really, really good players in this class, players that can fill very specific roles and do them really, I, I think, 
at a good level, but there's not a lot of great. There's not a lot of great players in this class to the level of, you know, what we've seen even with the guys from last year. Like, I think you go from, I was having this conversation with JJ Zacharyson yesterday. If you go with, I think from players like, you know, Traylon Burks, George Pickens, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, those guys from last year, all of them would be wide receiver consensus, wide receiver one in this class. I feel like the talent level that they brought to the table would absolutely be. And then of course, with the Jamar chases and then uh, Jerry Judy as a prospect and even Justin Jefferson, like all those guys would be wide receiver one in this class. What this class is missing is elite traits. There aren't really a ton of players. I think there's only one in this class that you can argue has an elite trait in their bag. Now, that doesn't mean that they are an elite receiver. It just means that one of their traits, speed, uh, you know, the speed, receiving ability, contested catch ability, like those are traits. Those things, that is an elite trait. And that's Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver out of Tennessee from a speed perspective. His speed is stupid. Like he's going to run, I think, low four twos. Uh, at the NFL Combine. And if that's the case, we're talking about him potentially going off the board as the number one wide receiver because that is the only player in this class that I can point to as having an elite trait. The rest of them rank and grade out really, really well from the other, you know, release and rack ability and, you know, the athleticism and agility and route running. But Jalen Hyatt has the separator there of his top end speed. The rest of those guys are really, really good players. They're going to fill, they're going to be really good number two slot receivers for an NFL offense. But, and even Jalen Hyatt, I don't think that he's going to be a true number one wide receiver for an NFL offense. He's got his deficiencies. He's got his questions coming out of that scheme out of Tennessee, but he's the only one working with an elite trait. And if I'm going to bet on anything in this class, I'm going to bet on the player that has an elite trait. Yeah. And I think to me, it's, He's part Deshaun Jackson, part Will Fuller. And I was a guest on a podcast last night and they we brought up Jalen Hyatt and they said, you know, what is it about him that makes you so intrigued with him? And I said exactly what you just said. He's the only one that's got an elite calling card and an elite thing that stands out. And that makes him so intriguing in a class that we don't have any other player that has an elite trait. So even if that's all he is, the value he'll bring, the tactical value he'll bring, the real life value he'll bring, you know, will be significant. And then if he gets into the right offense and they can get more out of him is right. even is extra. And, and in terms of that, so I'm right there with you to me, I think Hyatt is going to be the first wide receiver taken by the time we get to draft weekend. I, I, I truly believe that uh, if we bring up some of these other guys and I'll kind of group these guys together. Cause I, I do think in some ways their, their play style are all similar, you know, Jordan Addison, Josh Downs, Zay Flowers. I don't know if you've seen them all, but if you yeah. have, like, they're all a little bit different. I think I think Addison's got the best pure speed. Some of them, you know, I think Downs is really good at the catch point. I think Zay Flowers is, is solid across the board there. Yeah. You know, do you have a, a clear preference between that trio, maybe? I don't. And that's sort of the thing <laughs> with this class, right? Is like there, I think that you summarized that perfectly. Like Jordan Addison, Addison's a tough evaluation because his size is going to be a big thing. Like, what does he actually weigh? Is he Devonte Smith? Wait, like he might legitimately be uh, from, you know, what we see at the NFL combine. And that's going to play a role because he doesn't, he doesn't play like Devonte Smith did coming out of Alabama. So what's his size? Is he Deshaun Jackson coming out? I think that he uh, from when he won the Bolitnikoff Award at Pitt, he was utilized more as a deep down field receiver for Kenny Pickett. And that, I think, fits his skill set really well. This past year at USC, he was supposed to go there and just absolutely dominate. And he didn't. Like, he, his production really did not drastically take off. But 
he was utilized more as an underneath, as a slot receiver. And he filled that role. I think that he did it well. But is that someone that I want to bet on as a top 15 NFL draft pick? No, because I think that it comes down to a positional value conversation. And then also the, you know, do I spend a top 15 pick on Jordan Addison in the NFL draft? Or do I wait until the beginning of the second round or maybe even my middle second round pick and take Josh Downs out of North Carolina? Because he can fill, Josh Downs is a very, very good slot receiver. Like he is a very good slot receiver. He's limited to that role, but he's going to be a very, very good one. Just a matter of where do you take these guys in the NFL draft because of their positional value? So I think Zay Flowers is that next highest guy. He's my wide receiver three in this class. Uh, I have Jalen Hyatt currently at wide receiver one going into the NFL combine, but I kind of put all these guys in the same tier where I think Zay Flowers is consistent across the board. He's going to be a really good number two wide receiver for an NFL offense, uh, but doesn't necessarily have that calling card, that one true thing that we can point to. And like, this is how he's going to dominate at the next level. Just a really good, well-rounded receiver. Yeah. And I I think it's going to be really interesting because is there some separation, even in terms of the consensus, in terms of major draft, you know, media coverage over these guys? Because I really don't think there is. Like, I think, you know, when you see people's big boards, like they're all grouped together, right? In a span of like eight, you know, eight spots, you right. see all these wide receivers kind of grouped together. And I think even the guys who do this professionally all the time, like have been going to the, all these events forever. I think they're struggling with these guys. Right. And I think they're looking for some way to separate them. And the, the combine might be one of those like final pieces to kind of help sort it out. And then the last two wide receivers will bring up to, to close out the show here is Jackson Smith, the Jigba and Quinton Johnston. I'm a little bit lower on Quinton Johnson, not like the Zach Charbonnet lower for me. He's number six. Other people, he's number one. I think you can make a case anywhere in between. I think he's got a little bit of refinement. I don't think he always plays up to his size at times. He's going to check off boxes in terms of like size, speed freak and stuff like that. And then Jackson Smith and the Jigba, who obviously didn't play at all this year, basically only, you know, a few snaps here or there, uh, only played in the slot last year. But when I watched Smith and the Jigba, you know, when I compared him in the summer, I said what he did last year at Ohio State was basically be the college version of what Cooper Cup was doing in the NFL. He, mm-hmm. he is not an elite level athlete in terms of speed, but his quickness, his separation mobility in and out of breaks, his his smarts and his instincts, I think were, were really spot on. Similar to how Cooper Cup has became an absolute star at the next level. Doesn't mean he's going to be that the same star Cooper Cup is, but that's what he was in college when I watched him. So where are you kind of with Smith Najigba in terms of him translating to the next level and Quinton John? and we'll call it a show yeah for sure so jsn is my number two wide receiver in this class and i think that he's my number one yeah so i think that you know and they're in the same tier so there's a very realistic you know if you say like kyle you should have jsn as your number one wide receiver i'll be like yeah you're probably right like you know i'm right there but i think the the thing that i have with the concern that i have with jsn is not anything that you mentioned. Like, I think that he is a phenomenal, like, slot receiver. He's going to understand, he understands zone super well. His ability to turn and create that window for his quarterback. Uh, he understands how to run routes at an incredibly high level, an incredibly intelligent level. The Amon Ross St. Brown comps for JSN are very, very warranted. Like, he's going to fill that type of role in the NFL. And we've seen Amon Ross St. Brown be a dominant fantasy football wide receiver. So, I see the upside there. The athleticism is something that I am a little bit concerned about. That is something where I have a question with JSN going into the NFL combat. That doesn't mean that I'm completely out on JSN or, or you know, saying this like stamp of like he's a bad athlete. Just something that I don't know the answer to 
from the film. So I'm going to be watching him at the NFL combine. What does he test like? What does he weigh in? What, like, what are the, that's how we put this all together. We try to take all the pieces of the puzzle to put it together. So JSN, I think that he is from a fantasy football perspective, a little bit landing spot dependent. If you're going to ask him to play on the outside, this is going back to Justin Jefferson. Jefferson was a pure slot at LSU. It was granted because he had Jamar Chase on the outside, but I saw that he could play on the outside, and then he backed that up at with, at the NFL Combine by running a four four. It's like okay, we see the we see the athleticism there that he can win on the outside, and he's gone on to be you know the the best wide receiver, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. JSN, I don't think like best case, I think he's running four five two like in that territory, and if he runs that, great. But that's also what Amon Ross St. Brown ran and he went in the fourth round, you know, like the NFL didn't value that very highly. So there's a ton of questions there with JSN. I think the talent level is absolutely there, but I just have questions about the athleticism. That's something that I'm going to be watching with Quentin Johnston. I'm in agreement with you there. I've got him as wide receiver four in this class. And I think that the people that have him as wide receiver one are banking on, you know, the, the highlight reels. They're banking on those highlight reel contested catches uh, for that to translate when you look at his actual, like the, the numbers that he's got a very, very high drop rate, 14% drop rate, according to pro football focus this past year on, I think 78 targets off the top of my head. So that's not great. When you look at Jordan Addison had a 3% drop rate, right? Uh, where Quentin Johnson has to work on, you said refinement. I think that that is a good word to use here with Quentin Johnson. I think that there are other people that are going to completely bury him and are going to say like, Oh, well, that's not a player that I'm going to bet on. I'm just going to completely, you know, he's the Kevin White's. He's the uh, uh, who was the Washington wide receiver that went uh, like Corey Coleman. Um, who was that Washington wide receiver that went in 2016? Josh Doxson. Josh Doxson. Thank you. I always <laughs> want to say Jahan Dotson, but Josh Doxson, like, um, you know, he's that type of wide receiver. Like, I think that that's what people are going to say. And so they're going to be like completely out. I don't, I see him kind of falling into the middle where we've got some refinement there from a receiving perspective, but also his ability, his ability to start and stop his momentum at his size, his run after the catch ability, his top end speed. That's something that intrigues me. I think that there is something to build on there. It's just not someone that I see is worthy of going in the top 10 of the 2023 NFL draft. But if you can get him in the 20s and let him kind of figure his way, like in a recent mock draft that I did, you can find that over on footballguys.com. I did Quentin Johnson uh, at 22 overall to the Baltimore Ravens. They need another wide receiver. You have Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews there who can be the true number one and number two option. And meanwhile, you allow Quentin Johnston to make some splash plays in the meantime, but yet continue to refine and develop his game in that, you know, in that process where he's not being asked to be the number one wide receiver for this offense. You put him in Chicago, he's not going to do well. He's not going to do well because he's going to be asked to handle too much too early. So I think that's something that you just kind of have to take into account, but the skill set is there to build upon. There are things to like about Quentin Johnson's game. You just have to adjust your expectations a little bit. Yeah, and I think the, the perfect way to sum up this class is you said, you know, you don't think Quentin Johnson should go in the top 10 or even top 15. I think the 20s is the sweet spot. If yeah. we were really, truly, you know, not pushing up guys, and, and they're going to get pushed up. There's going to be some that go in the teens, right. I think, for right. sure. But I, I think this is a class that probably should start, come, the wide receiver run should probably start in the 20s. And from 20 to 40, we should see these guys that we've all been talking about today. And, you know, do they get pushed up? Does the run start earlier? And I think the wild thing, and I've been saying this Saturday Sunday, is 
it's not inconceivable that we have more tight ends drafted in round one than we do wide receivers. Like it would be yeah. wild. I don't think it's, it, it might have a really good betting line somewhere if, if they right. put that out there, but it's not, it's not crazy, right? Enough of major draft media, the, the, the people who really are in the know, they keep putting out mock drafts that have four tight ends in round one. Are they just yeah. hedging right now? I don't know, but are we, we're not going to get four wide receivers, four tight ends, Bijan and then four quarterbacks. That's right. not making up half the first round, right? So some people are going to fall. If it ends up being the wide receivers, there could be more tight ends drafted in round one than 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 wide receivers, and that would be wild if, if we see more tight ends come off the board. Going to be fun. Combine next week is going to help us start sorting this out a little bit more. Kyle, I'm sure most of my audience is following you, but please let them know how to follow you on Twitter. If you have anything specific, you mentioned the mock draft. Uh, you know, you could plug that again or anything else you got working on over there over at Football Guys. Yeah, yeah, of course. So at Kyle Y NFL over on Twitter. Appreciate you having me on, Paul. And of course, go over to footballguys.com. All my work can be found over there now. Cranking out articles over there. Got a Superflex, uh, Superflex rookie mock draft that just came out and the, the content's flowing there. So make sure you guys go over to there, footballguys.com. Appreciate you having me on, Paul. Absolutely. It was my pleasure, guys. Make sure you're following Kyle. Make sure you're checking out all the great work over there at Football Guys. So on behalf of Kyle, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, Dave Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.